Well, I have the great privilege of uh, introducing a new friend. Um, this is a, a longtime friend to the Bondars, Oleg and Amanda, and many of you know of them and their ministry, Amanda, with children's ministry, and then Oleg and Amanda together have had a Russian-speaking Bible study, and that's Oleg uh, is uh, from the former Soviet Union, Ukraine, and then um, Amanda went to there, Ukraine, as a single um, missionary years and years ago and mastered the, I say mastered, she speaks Russian, so uh, she can do really well, has great facility there, and, and Oleg and Amanda met. And so they're here as a part of our church, and they minister to many of the Russian-speaking um, people who want the Bible and, and are taught regularly on a Wednesday night Bible study that way. And about a year ago, they invited a friend of theirs from Samara, Russia, Alex Prokopenka. And Alex is a master's uh, seminary graduate. He has a master's of theology from there and is studying um, to receive his Ph.D. from there. And so, um, though he grew up in Samara, uh, a city of a million people, and attended an evangelical church there his whole life, the church that he ministers in now, um, which is Transfiguration Baptist Church, about 600 people there worshiping. And um, he grew up in that church. He felt the call to ministry. And he, we asked him this morning, when did you become a pastor there? And it's hard for him to exactly distinguish. He was ordained um, over a decade ago at the church, but has been preaching there since he was 15 years old. And so he and his wife, I think he met her in Samara. He can correct that. But Katie, I met her as well. A year ago, she's not here this morning. Um, They have two children, um, Christina, 13 years old, and Mark, who's eight. Um, But they have been part of that church and part of that town for years and years and years in Russia. And we asked this morning about persecution. That's why I was mentioning the freedoms that we have to worship. Uh, The persecution is heavier there, um, though it is um, they still have the freedom to worship. Uh, There are times where um, there's governing Um, monitoring that goes on, government monitoring that goes on in terms of um, evangelistic outreaches and they're checking, you know, what they're giving out and whether or not it's stamped with uh, an approval of, of, um, to their liking. And uh, there are persecutions that are there. And I was talking to Alex this morning. There are 12 hours difference in the time zone different. Um, It's 12 hours sharp um, in terms of where we are to where he's from. And that's almost a metaphor of the 12 hour, we're 12 hours away from the persecution they're receiving there to what we will receive, you know, in years to come here. Who knows? Um, we pray not, but, um, but we're thankful for their ministry. There's a training center there, TMAI training center there, and we support TMAIs um, in general, but they have one where they're reaching over 100 um, trainees who are going to be pastors spreading out into the area. They're church planning. Alex has 10 books that he's authored, and one of which just came out. Um, it's on the qualities of love from 1 Corinthians 13. So we have a real treat to have um, a, a young 40-year-old man um, come and minister the Word of God. I think you're preaching Psalm 50, 51 this morning. So come, let's greet Alex with a warm welcome this morning. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here. Uh, I don't get to preach in English very often, so 
Uh, I ask that you pray for me and uh, bear with me if I take a pause or if you hear a mistake here and there. But uh, my main goal is to share from the Word of God with you. I was privileged to visit your church a little over a year ago uh, when I came with my wife, uh, but we only joined you for one uh, Sunday uh, church service, uh, and uh, I was greatly privileged to uh, come at that time to this pulpit and to pray together with you. And now it's a, a, even a greater joy to share from the Word of God. Some time ago, I was talking to a young man. Uh, back in Russia, he believed in God, uh, he was familiar with the Bible, he wasn't a church member, but he used to attend our church on a more or less regular basis. He had a close friend among church members, and he liked to talk about God and the Bible. He seemed like a very nice religious man, and one time during our conversation, he told me, he said, my relationship with, with God is okay, I just get drunk sometimes, and I have problem with some other sins. I will not mention those sins, but they were pretty ugly. Um, then I had to tell him, I said, look, your relationship with God is not okay. Actually, getting drunk and the other sins that you mentioned to me are not your biggest problems. Those are just consequences of your relationship with Jesus. He couldn't understand me at the time. He thought that all that was needed from him was to get rid of some ugly sins like murder and adultery. But he did not realize that true biblical repentance means something bigger, something much, much bigger. And this is what we're going to find in our Bible passage today. Please turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We will read only the first two verses, and we will focus our study, our thinking about the Word of God on those two verses. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. David says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. As many of you know, uh, those of you have, uh, who have already studied the Bible, you know that David is writing those words right after a series of terrible sins that he had committed, uh, committed in his life. As we read in the inscription to the psalm, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had got in, uh, gone into Bathsheba, uh, he had committed terrible crimes against God. The prophet came to him and convicted him of his sins. And now David is looking for restoration. His prayer of repentance serves as a God-inspired guide for our own prayers when we're repenting of our sins in our daily spiritual walk. And it is a great example for anyone who wants to come to God for the first time in his life, who has never committed his life to God and who's thinking, okay, how do I turn to God? How do I receive the forgiveness of sins? How can I be sure that I will be saved? So this prayer of David is a great example for all of that. Let's look again at this text, and we will see here in these two verses four petitions of David that reflect the heart of true biblical repentance. We will find four petitions of David that reflect the heart of true biblical repentance. The first petition of David is a plea for forgiveness. A plea for forgiveness. Look at verse 1. 
Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. David begins with his prayer with a plea for mercy. Plea for mercy. The famous preacher Spurgeon once said, David appeals at once to the mercy of God even before he mentions his sin. The sight of mercy is good for eyes that are sore with penitential weeping. Indeed, David appeals to God's mercy even before he mentions his sin. What does it mean when David asks, be gracious to me, or you can translate it as, have mercy upon me? What is the meaning of God's graciousness and mercy? When this Hebrew word is used in the Bible, as many of you know, the Bible was, the the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. So when this Hebrew word is used in the Bible, it usually conveys the idea of forgiveness. The idea of forgiveness. Meaning that David asks to restore his relationship with God. When we forgive another person, it means that we restore our relationship with him. And when we ask for forgiveness, it means that we want anything that stood between us to be gone. We want to restore a relationship with that person. And this is what David is asking in his prayer to God. He says, have mercy on me, forgive me, remove anything that stands between us. Forgiveness also involves withdrawing God's punishment. When we forgive somebody, we're not going to punish him for the sins that they have committed. When we ask God for forgiveness, we ask him to remove his punishment. Both things were true in the life of David. God did restore his relationship with him, and he did remove his punishment. When David repented, God forgave him his sins and withdrew his punishment. As soon as David admitted to his sin, as we read in the book of 2 Samuel 12, 13, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And then through the prophet Nathan, God said, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Look at this. The Lord has taken away your sin. He has removed what stood between you and God. So there are no more barriers, no more walls separating you from God. And then right after that, he says, you shall not die. He has removed his punishment. Not only that, in Psalm 32, David recounts the things that were happening to him before his repentance. You know, it took him about a year from his crimes until his repentance. And during that year, he was experiencing terrible things spiritually. He recounts those things in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. He said, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Look at these words. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. This is what David was experiencing before his forgiveness, before his repentance. God's punishment was hanging over his head as a sword. God was punishing him daily. But at the moment of his repentance, God withdrew his punishment. He says in the same Psalm, Psalm 32 verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
God removed all that, all those terrible things that were happening in his life before David's repentance. Uh, we need to clarify one thing here. Many people make this mistake. May, many people are confused about this. Some people think that after repentance, God cannot allow any harm to happen to this person as a consequence of his sin. This is actually not true. It does not mean that after repentance, God may not in any way discipline the person for his sin. Sometimes God will, for his own purposes, discipline even the repentant believer. He did it with David. When David said to him, you shall not die, in other words, God has removed his punishment, he also said, However, the child that is born to you shall surely die. So there was God's discipline in his life as a consequence of his sin. But God withdrew his retributive punishment. He did not avenge David's sin anymore. The same thing is happening in our lives. When we repent of our sins, God forgives us. He removes the barriers that stand between us and God, and he withdraws his punishment. Okay, let's think about it from another angle. When David is asking for God's mercy, why is he doing that? Why does he need God's mercy? David needs mercy because otherwise he stands at the face of God's judgment. Otherwise, God holds his sins against him. Otherwise, the terrifying fullness of God's discipline is waiting for him. Dear friends, when we come to God in repentance, he displays his mercy. He entirely forgives your sins. He completely restores your relationship to him. And he also stops his punishment and withdraws his retribution. retribution. Isn't it amazing what God does when we come to him in repentance? Uh, Why does God show us his mercy? He does it because he has refused his mercy to Jesus. Think about this. Why does God show us his mercy? Why is he able to do so? As a righteous judge, why is God, how in the world is it possible that God is able to remove his punishment? And to restore completely his relationship, the relationship of the holy God to a sinner who has rebelled against him. It is only possible because he has not shown mercy to Jesus. The Bible says, for he, him who knew no sin, he made sin for us. Jesus took our place and there hanging on the cross... He cried, Father, why have you forsaken me? God did not show mercy to him at that time when Jesus was crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me? So that he can turn his face towards us and forgive us and never forsake us. So true biblical repentance is begging for God's mercy. That was the first petition of David. A plea for forgiveness. Let's look at the second petition of David. It's a plea for justification. It's a plea for justification. We will continue reading in the same verse. The end of verse 1. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. The Hebrew word for blot out means to wipe. It refers to wiping an inscription from a clay tablet. Before the clay sets and hardens, the text can be easily wiped off with a special scraper that they used for wiping off the inscriptions, the text from the clay tablets, or just with the back of your hand. Even after the clay hardens, it can still be wiped off. The fact is that in the ancient times, clay tablets were usually not baked on fire. Instead, they were just dried under the sun. It was enough for everyday purposes. Therefore, if the text had to be corrected, someone could just soak the clay in the water and then wipe out whatever was written on that clay tablet. This is what David is asking for. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. In other words, take this tablet with the record of my transgressions and wipe away all that is written on it. Why does David need his his transgressions to be wiped out? Because he understands that God keeps a record of his sins. This is why he's asking For his transgressions to be wiped out. Because he understands that God keeps a record. Actually God keeps a record of all our lives. Of everything that is happening in our lives every day. The prophet Malachi says in Malachi 3.16. The Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. A book of remembrance was written before him about their lives. A book of remembrance is a document that contains a record of all events that were happening, for example, in a, uh, in a royal court. It's like a royal protocol. Everything that we do is being written in God's records, in God's book of remembrance. Some of you uh, have probably visited Ronald Reagan's library uh, in Simi Valley. Uh, when I was a student uh, at the Master Seminary, I was able to visit this um, presidential library, and I uh, was able to saw the archives of his cabinet. It's a big room with rows and rows of shelves. On those shelves, there were gray boxes, like about this size. Lots of boxes, and each one of them had piles and piles of papers, It's interesting that Ronald Reagan was president for only eight years, and his rule finished many years ago, in 1986. However, for a short period of his administration, for those eight years, his administration has piled so many documents that they were not able to process them all completely, even by the time when I was there in 2007. So imagine, it took them many years to process all those papers. And at that time, they told us that they were only halfway through. I don't know whether they uh, they have finished that by now or not. Imagine boxes and boxes of papers that God keeps as a record of each and everyone's life. God has a record of everything that is happening in your lives, dear friends. Every day adds more to those records, to those documents. 
Everything that you do goes in those papers. Everything that you say, every word that you say, every thought that you think is described there for memory. And God one day will take those papers and they will be laid open for God to judge our lives. What is especially important is that God keeps a record not only of all our works, but he keeps a record of our sins in particular. There is not even a single sin that will escape his pen. Just as in the ancient court, there were also records of crimes and debts so that the guilty person would pay his debt in full. In the same manner, God has a record according to, uh, according to which everyone will receive a just punishment. For instance, Jeremiah says in the book of Jeremiah 17.1, he says, The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. God says that the sin of Judah was written down. It was engraved as if on the horns of their altars. It was engraved as with, a, with an iron stylus on stone so that it cannot be easily removed. God keeps a record of everyone, every person's sins. Imagine that God has huge stacks of documents that testify against you personally. Every sin, every unrighteous action, every unclean thought, everything is meticulously documented for God's judgment. Jesus warned, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. Matthew twelve thirty six. Until this record of your transgressions is there, it constantly testifies against you. But at the moment of repentance, God, as it were, takes the clay of his memory and wipes away the record of your sins. Isn't that wonderful? At the moment when you come to God in the prayer of repentance, God takes, as it were, the clay of his memory and wipes away the record of your transgressions. God blots out this record in such a way that he never recalls it again. As he said about it in another passage of scripture, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah forty-three twenty-five. He wipes it out in a way that he will not remember about it anymore. God blots out this record in such a way that it disappears without a trace. God says in the same book of Isaiah 44, 22, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Have you ever thought about it? How does a mist disappear or how does a cloud disappear? When you get out of your house in the morning and take a look at the sky, do you say, oh, there was a cloud in that place. I know it because there remains a huge hole in the sky. Did it ever happen to you? No? No, it disappears without a trace. How does a mist disappear? If there was a mist and the wind blew it away, you get out of your house and you say, oh, there is a pink spot there in the air. It must have been a mist. No, 
it disappears without a trace, so that you cannot even say that something was there before. In just the same way, God wipes out the record of our transgression. It disappears without a trace, never to reappear again. So, at the moment of our repentance, God erases the record of our sins. And this means justification. Erasing the record of our sins is justification. It means that we are justified, declared righteous in God's eyes before God's judgment. It means that when we come to God's court, we come with a clean slate. There is nothing there against us. And the Bible even says that he who believes in Jesus and whose record of sins has been wiped out, he doesn't even have to appear in court. Isn't that right? Because he's absolutely clean. There's no document against him. Nothing testifies against him. There is no record of his sins because God wiped it out completely. Uh, Because of the lack of time, I'm going to skip a few parts here. Uh, But uh, I would like us to think about this uh, from another angle. Just as we thought about Jesus in the first, in the first point, uh, why is God able to forgive a repentant sinner? Let's think about it from the same angle, about the second point. Why is God able to blot out or wipe out our transgressions? God is able to wipe out our transgressions because he has meticulously copied every transgression on the tablet of Jesus. Think about it. So here's a tablet with the record of your sins against God. Every sin is written down in there. God does not simply wipe it out. out. Before he does that, he copies every sin on Jesus' account. He takes the tablet of Jesus and copies every sin that you have committed so that he's able now to wipe out your slate. Now let's look at the third petition of David. It's a plea for purification. It's a plea for purification. Look at verse 2. David continues, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. David is asking to wash him. In the Hebrew language, there were several words for washing. One word meant to wash one's face or hand or to take a bath. Another word meant to rinse with water, as you would rinse a cup or a plate. The third word meant to wash in a way as you would wash clothes. Which word do you think is used here in this verse? An easy guess. One, two, or three? Three. Three. Right. Uh, It is the third word. David is asking that God wash him thoroughly as one would wash his clothing. Uh, In other words, he's asking God to do laundry on his soul. How did they wash clothes in in the ancient times? Did you ever think about it? Maybe they didn't wash clothes at all. Maybe laundry is a recent achievement. Actually, no. Even 3,000 years ago, they used uh, to wash clothes and they used detergents. We find this in the book of Jeremiah. Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap... The stain of your iniquity is before me. Jeremiah 2.22. This verse mentions lie. Uh, It's a 
basic substance that was used for uh, for washing and uh, soap, obviously. Uh, So uh, what did they do with it? They took the garment, they soaked it in water, applied the soap, and then they began to work the cloth. They rubbed it on a rock, they walked on it, they pounded out the dirt, they rinsed it again, uh, then they hung it up to, to dry. They continued this process several times until the clothes became clean. This was a tedious process. Therefore, David says, wash me thoroughly. Wash me thoroughly. Wash me several times. Wash me as many times as necessary to make, this, uh, to make me clean. Usually, this was done, as you understand, by women. While the men were lazing at the job or playing hooky, going to war, women took the heavy burden of laundry on their shoulders. But there were also professional launderers. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, the Bible says in the book of Mark 9.3, his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. This is talking about professional launderers. People would go and pay money for their clothes to be washed, just as uh, people may do today. You know, when God washes you, you will be whiter than any launderer on earth can make. Just as Jesus, his clothes on the Mount of Transfiguration became whiter than any launderer on earth can make, In the same way, when God does his job on you, you will become wider than any person on earth can produce. So David asks God to do everything necessary to make him clean from his sin. Note that not only does he ask God to set him free from the consequences of sin, he also asks God to wash him thoroughly from the presence of sin. Not only does he ask God to forgive him, remove the obstacles, restore his his relationship, remove the punishment. Not only does he ask God to wipe out the record of his transgressions so that he can stand before the judgment of God and be pure, be declared right before God. Not only that. He also wants to be redeemed from the presence of sin. That's why he asks Wash me thoroughly so that there is no more sin within my soul. He wants God to soak him in water, to rub him with soap, to beat him against the rocks and wring him out. He's willing to endure whatever is needed just to get rid of his sin. This is a very important sign of true biblical repentance. The person who comes to God for forgiveness not only wants to be freed from the consequences of his sin, oh God, forgive me that I will not go to hell, but he also wants to be freed from the presence of sin in his life. Wash me thoroughly so that I will be pure before you. Dear friends, why is David asking God to laundry him, to wash him from his sin? He does it because he understands that sin makes dirty. Sin makes dirty. Isaiah mournfully exclaims in the book of Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Filthy garment. Sin 
makes dirty. Sin can make you dirty much worse than mud. It eats into the garment of your soul. Its dirty particles get ingrained deeply between the fibers and it is really hard to remove them from there. Therefore, we need a thorough laundry. And this laundry is happening at the moment of repentance. David recognizes that he cannot wash himself. He asks God to give him a laundry. This is also a sign of true repentance. The opposite of this is false teachers in the book of 2 Peter in the New Testament. In 2 Peter 2.22, it says, A soul after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. A pig after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. It's interesting that you cannot see it from the, from the English translation, but the form of the verb in the Greek implies that the swine washed itself. It uses a, a medium sense of the verb. So the, the, uh, the pig washed itself. It was not washed by God. This is the false teachers. They washed themselves, but their nature has not changed Therefore, still remaining pigs, what do they do? They go back to their mud. But they were not washed by God. They just washed themselves, meaning superficially. Some people do that. They come to church. They get rid of some ugly sins in their lives. They start living generally good and law-abiding lives. But they never come under God's laundry. God does not do his job on their souls. God does not remove sin from their lives. They just wash themselves superficially. But their nature does not change. And therefore, their nature continues to pull them back to their old lifestyle, back to their sin. They might replace one sin with another, but they will still be wallowing in the mire. Dear friends, we need God to wash us thoroughly. This is, what God, uh, this is what David says. He understands that if he washes himself, that will never be enough. He could never wash himself as thoroughly as God. Therefore, he asks, you wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. The same thing happens at the moment of our repentance. God gives us a laundry and washes us from the deepest stains of sin. Dear friends, let's think about this as we did in the first two points. Why? Is God able to wash our souls? What is the means that he uses to wash our souls? It is the blood of Jesus. He's able to wash us, to give our souls a laundry because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's able to do that through Jesus. As we sing in one famous hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Or as we sang even today, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And now let us look at the fourth petition of David. The fourth petition of David is a plea for restoration. A plea for restoration. Uh, The end of verse 2. And cleanse me from my sin. And cleanse me from my sin. In this case, David is not talking about washing, about the physical removal of dirt. The word which is used here in the original Hebrew means ritual purification. Ritual purification. Not the removal of dirt, but declaring somebody pure for God and for the temple. 
declaring somebody pure for the ministry. The same word is used when the Bible is talking about clean and unclean animals. For instance, when in the book of Genesis 7-2, God told Noah to take how many of clean animals? Seven of each kind of clean animals and how many of each kind of unclean animals? Two. Um, good Bible knowledge. Thank you. Uh, the same word, the, the word with the same root is used there. It doesn't mean that some animals were washed and physically clean and some others were not. Let's say if a cat was licking itself clean for two hours and then came to Noah, how many of those should he take? Seven or two? Just two. It would still be unclean, not in the physical sense, but in a ritual sense. It means that cats were not fit for sacrifice. They were not suitable for worshiping God. In a similar way, David says, cleanse me, not only laundry me, not only wash me from the physical presence of sin, but cleanse me in a, in a, in a ritual sense. He begs the Lord to do whatever is needed to declare him suitable for entering the temple and for worshiping God. I call this restoration. When David was unclean because of his sin, he was not able to enter into the presence of God because nothing unclean, nothing impure can stand in God's presence. If David even would try to go to the temple and serve God and do some kind of ministry, if he would stand behind the pulpit and start preaching the word of God, that would not be suitable before God because he was ritually impure. But he wants to serve God. And therefore he says, cleanse me, purify me, make me ritually clean that I can come into the temple again and stand in your presence and do ministry. This is also a very important sign of true biblical repentance. Penitent sinner is eager to serve God. He's eager to serve God and he wants to be suitable for that. Why does David need ritual purification? Because he understands that sin makes us ritually unclean. Sin makes us impure in God's eyes. Sin makes us like lepers who are unclean and cannot enter the temple, but instead should cry out, unclean, unclean, don't come near me. Because of sin, we are declared impure. And just like impure people, like lepers, would make everything else impure, everything that they laid their hands on, everything that they touched, they they would make it unclean. In the same way, when we are in the state of sin, we make everything around us impure, even the ministry. We cannot freely come into God's presence. We cannot partake in ministry in a God-honoring way because otherwise even the holy things we can make unclean. However, when God cleanses us, when he declares us pure, we can participate in ministry in a way that is pleasing to God. uh, David understands that his plea for ritual cleansing implies a sacrifice. Ritual purification was done by the blood of sacrificial animal. The same root for cleansing is used again in the same psalm in verse 7. David says there, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. 
This is a very rich imagery that was understandable to the people in those times. Purify me with hyssop. What does it mean? Hyssop is a plant. Actually, when I was in Israel, I saw those plants. They still grow there. So hyssop is a plant. It was made into something like a brush. And they used this brush to dip it into a bowl of blood, uh, the blood of a sacrificial animal. And then they used it to sprinkle upon the things and people. David understands that in order for him to be declared pure, he had to be sprinkled by the blood of a sacrifice with a hyssop. Purify me with a hyssop. In order for us to be declared ritually clean, God must sprinkle us with the blood of the ultimate sacrifice. The sacrifice to which all the other Old Testament sacrifice, all the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing God must sprinkle us with the blood of Jesus Christ. When his blood is applied to us, we become ritually clean. And then we receive a free access to the presence of the Almighty. Then we can serve him um, unimpeded. So we have discussed four petitions of David that reflect the heart of true biblical repentance. And we have seen how they applied to our own lives. The first petition of David Be gracious to me is a plea for forgiveness. And it means that in our repentance, God forgives us and withdraws his punishment and removes any barriers that separated us from God. The second petition of David, blot out my transgressions, is a plea for justification. It means that God completely and irreversibly erases the record of our sins. The third petition of David, wash me, is a plea for purification. God gives us a laundry. He washes away the stains of sin and makes us uh, dazzling white. The fourth petition of David, cleanse me, is a plea for restoration. God applies to us the blood of Jesus and declares us clean before him so that now we can be restored to our standing before him and we can do ministry and we can serve him in a way that is honoring to him and pleasing to him. So what do we do with all of this? Uh, There is a wonderful story told by Steve Lawson. Uh, He uh, tells of a college freshman who went to the dorm laundry uh, with his dirty clothes bundled into an old sweatshirt. Apparently, he was embarrassed uh, how how dirty his clothes was, and he didn't want other people to see all the stains on it, all the dirt on it. And so he just bundled all his clothes clothes into an old T-shirt, Uh, And then he uh, just pushed the clump of dirty clothes into the washing machine. When the machine stopped, he pushed the bundle into the dryer. Finally, he took the still unopened bundle of clothes to his room, only to discover that they were washed, dried, and still unclean. Dear friends, as as long as we continue to hide our sins, they will remain with us. There is just one way to have them washed from the clothes of our soul. To open them up before God in true biblical repentance. So that God would have mercy on us. Erase the record of our sins. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity. And declare us pure for serving him. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you very much that you speak to us through your word. And what a comforting truth it is 
to hear of what you are able to do in our lives. Thank you that you want every person to come to repentance and to the knowledge of truth. And we can count on this promise. And we can come to you even now. Lord, may you please forgive us. We don't want anything to stand between us and you. We need you to wipe away the record of our sins so that we can be justified before your judgment throne. We also want to be set free from the presence of sin in our lives. Lord, we're tired of sinning again and of becoming unclean again and of stepping into the same mud again. And we ask you to please wash us thoroughly and do everything that's necessary to remove the presence of sin from our lives. We want to walk in a manner manner worthy of the gospel. And Lord, we want to stand in your presence and admire your glory so that it will not be veiled from us. We want to stand before you and serve you as you call us to do. It's a great privilege to minister to you, but we need to be clean in order, to do, uh, uh, in order for us to do that. May you please cleanse us ritually so that we will be declared clean for the, ta- uh, for the temple, clean for ministry, clean for your presence. Wash us by the blood of Jesus Christ and we thank you for everything that you have done to make this all possible. Thank you that your wrath was poured upon our Lord Jesus Christ so that you can forgive us. Thank you that our sins were credited to Jesus' account so that you can wipe out our transgressions. Thank you that Jesus spilled his blood on the cross so that we can be washed from sin. And thank you that He brought himself as a sacrifice for us so that we can be sprinkled with his blood and declared ritually clean and able to enter your presence. We thank you for everything that you have done to make our salvation possible and actual and long-lasting and strong and eternal. I ask you, Lord, also for those who do not know you yet as their personal Lord and Savior. May you please give them a true saving faith. Remove the veil from their hearts. Shine the light of truth into their lives. Bring them to thyself. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh, thank you, Alex, for bringing us the Word of God and um, bringing us into a communion time that's uh, it's an appropriate word for us as we examine ourselves. We're thankful, Alex, for you tying together in one sense.